0: lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Non, nous ne sommes pas fous, nous ne sommes pas Ill.
1: Welcome to Sing With Your Feet, the podcast in which we bring more peace and joy into our lives just by reducing the number of urgent decisions we need to make. The podcast in which we acquire a few tools that will help us bring a bit of fairy dust to some otherwise boring, annoying, and often mind-numbingly dreadful tasks to help our families run more smoothly. The podcast in which we recognize the value of thinking ahead and just how precious this can be for the people we love. My name is Lily Fields, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the various circles that make up the enticingly beautiful. Venn diagrams of our lives. We've already talked about our health and loving our bodies. We've talked about work and how we each received very specific superpowers that we can put to use to make this world a better place. This week, our topic is scheduling and planning, both short term and long term. Before we jump in, I want to assert my privilege as your fairy godmother for a second and say thank you for listening. I have been just so delighted to read about the ways that you're out there working on your ideal life exercises and doing your mise en place. I am also incredibly excited and humbled that you're out there sharing the podcast and the ideas that we are exploring here with the people you love. Already, it's a rather niche conversation that we're having and podcasts themselves as a medium are rather niche as well. So thank you for doing the hard work of educating your friends and family members who you think will find some encouragement here. You are the official podcast ambassadors of Wonderland. Whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, all I can say is thank you. I am so glad to be part of your journey towards your idea life. I haven't actually mentioned this before, but I do post audio of the podcast to YouTube every week as well. This might be an easier way to introduce the idea of podcasts to the people you know, because all you have to do is share a link. I'll put that link in the show notes. Today, as we talk about scheduling and planning, I want you to consider how this looks in your life. If you've done them, return to your In My Ideal Life, I Am A Person Who statements, and look for all the ones that might sound something like, in my ideal life, oh, that's you. You sound like an adorable country bumpkin. In my ideal life, I am a person who knows who has to be where when. Or, in my ideal life, I am a person who knows what is for dinner tonight. Or, in my ideal life, I schedule time for my spouse. Now, when I say the word schedule, what does that evoke for you? Whose calendars do you have to manage in your home? When you look at your calendar, what is the farthest reaching date that you have something written down on? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by all the places you and the people you live with have to be in the course of a day, or a week, or a month? And what about the word planning? What does that stir up for you? Do you plan ahead or are you a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person? Are there aspects of your life where it would be simpler if you just planned ahead a little bit more? Remember, as we think about these different themes, we always ask ourselves four questions. What is working? What isn't working? What do I need to think about? And what one thing can I do today to make progress towards my ideal life? Let's get started. Have you ever heard of decision fatigue? It's the reason why candy is always near the checkout lanes, to take advantage of our declining faculty to make good decisions after we've making a lot of tiny little insignificant decisions while we're shopping for groceries. Shaman or cotton ale. <laughs> Decision fatigue is one of the reasons why we relegate self-care to the end of our to-do list. With so many other seemingly important things to do, we systematically make trade-offs in which our own good is traded for something more urgent. Decision fatigue is real. Every day we have hundreds of tiny little decisions we have to make. Do we hit the snooze button or do we get up right away? Do we take a shower now or later? What am I going to wear today? Do we park our car right up next to work to save us time when it's time to go home? Or do we park at the far end of the lot so that we can enjoy the spring sunshine at the end of the day? Stay up and watch the late shows or go to bed at a decent hour? Turn our alarm on for tomorrow morning or not? Those are the ultimately unimportant decisions that really impact only us. But by the time we are done making them, we have used up a ton of emotional energy. If those are the decisions that really only impact us, there are dozens of other decisions that impact those that we live with. Should the kids wear their winter coats this morning, or would a hoodie be sufficient? Who's picking the kids up from school? What's for dinner? When can we get our spouse alone to have that important conversation about our job? The more we can automate the recurring, relatively easy to make decisions, like what time we get up, when we're gonna take our shower, or setting ourselves a bedtime and sticking to it, the less mental energy we have to spend on making those decisions. If we can take those easy decisions and turn them into habits, then we're freeing up space in our heads for more important considerations. By making decisions in advance, by planning ahead, we are saving ourselves time in the long run. In a few weeks, we will dedicate an entire episode to talk about habits and routines. But for now, we're just talking about planning ahead. Thinking and planning ahead, like what I've been encouraging you to do with mise en place, you know, when we prepare the night before the space where in the morning we're gonna be doing our ideal life exercise, or when we pick out our outfit for the next day in advance. Well, it means that we have fewer spontaneous decisions to make. Removing the spontaneous aspect of the decision can make the whole process seem less painful. Case in point, choosing what I'm gonna wear. When the boys were little, out of what I perceived to be a selfless love for my children, I would often wait until just before we had to go somewhere to decide what I was gonna wear. It would be a decision made in a moment of stress, and there is nothing like trying to get a baby and a toddler ready to go somewhere. (laughs) You know about that. Trying to play referee while packing up a bag of diapers in two different sizes, toys for two ages, stuffed animals, extra clothes in two sizes. (laughs) And that last decision, what am I going to wear? It would be the last possible thing I wanted to think about. So all while trying to keep two children from biting each other, from removing their coats and their shoes, I would stand in front of my closet and think to myself, I have nothing to wear. Note, I had plenty of things to wear. It's just that I was so stressed out that I couldn't think straight to make a proper decision. Planning ahead, moving the decision about what I was going to wear to a different moment in the day when I wasn't stressed out and when no one else was around, it took the struggle out of the whole process. Planning ahead is a life and sanity saver. If you experience decision fatigue, which in my example was demonstrated by the thought, I have nothing to wear, or it can also sound like I have absolutely no idea what we're going to have for dinner, I would humbly suggest carving out a few minutes when you are not faced with the urgent need to make an immediate decision and giving that future situation some thought. The decision will seem less painful and maybe even slightly more motivating than decisions you have to make under the gun. When I can get started, and to be honest, sometimes just the thought of getting started is enough to stop me before I start, if I do take the time to plan meals ahead, I can think outside of the usual rotation of easy to make staples and imagine trying new ingredients or techniques that otherwise would seem impossible. When I can imagine trying something new, I can plan for it and maybe even get myself excited about it. Anticipation is such a powerful feeling. In and of itself, it is a significant bead of joy to put on the necklace of our life. This is likewise true when we take the time to think about what we're going to wear. Insignificant, unimportant decisions, when made in advance, can have the power to bring us joy through anticipation. By removing the stress those unmade decisions can wreak on us when they make them under the gun, we're giving ourselves the gift of peace. Peace, anticipation, and joy. Even in tiny tiny measures, are way better than stress, irritation, and fatigue. Planning ahead is a tool to bring more peace and less stress. It's worth giving it a try.
0: Elle me fait Elle me donne envie de chanter, danser.
1: Many years ago, I worked as a wedding planner. I know how fun this sounds, and I will admit that even when I did the job, I knew that it sounded way more fun than it actually is. I think that part of my preference for funerals over weddings began around that time. The planning part, the flowers, the table settings, the cake... Well, oh, that part was fantastic. I loved working with vendors and DJs and caterers. One thing that I was very, very good at in my job was creating something called a Gantt chart. I also like to call it a retro planning, just because I like the word retro. <laughs> this was a detailed little calendar of when decisions needed to be made by, when orders needed to be placed, when appointments needed to be confirmed. For the days before the wedding, it would be so detailed as to be hour by hour. And the day of the wedding could even be minute by minute. Seriously, I love doing that kind of thing. What sucked was working with the brides, or worse, with their mothers. I much preferred to do the the behind-the-scenes making the magic fairy godmother work and surprise them with how I managed to book such and such a band or hire that one florist who had already told them no twice. I absolutely hated being asked, which of these two veils do you prefer? Because without fail, the moment I would offer my opinion, they would come up with a hundred reasons why that was obviously the wrong choice for them. But come wedding day, there was always some small way I could make magic again. Whether it was loaning my shoes to the bride because her heel broke in the limo on the way over, I always had at least one extra pair of shoes in the car, or my little stash of safety pins that nearly always saved the day for someone in the wedding party. For as much as I was very, very good at this kind of planning, I am the absolute worst possible secretary for my family. How is it that something that allowed me to make magic professionally is a trait that is conspicuously absent from my home life? Over time, I have actually come up with an answer to this question. You see, a wedding is a one-time affair, well, (laughs) at least for most of us, and My participation in those weddings was always a one-time project. There was a start date, the date I was hired, and an end date, the day the last chair and cloth napkin were returned to the rental company. At home, there is no end date. It is just this endless carousel of months that pass, often without even seeing them go by. What makes family life difficult is that there are so many different battlefronts. There are multiple people, each of us with places that we need to be at different times and even though sometimes those can be turned into habits there are always enough exceptions to the rule to make us feel like our heads are constantly spinning the project mentality of a wedding cannot be superimposed on family life to create a functional model however some of the tools of project planning can be useful to making family scheduling and planning less cumbersome One of these tools is very, very simple. It's a detailed, up-to-date to-do list of everything that needs to get done. Just getting things out of our heads and onto paper can make life easier. Another tool, which although it sounds similar, is quite different. It's a checklist. That is, each individual step of a recurring task. Whether you are a pilot, or a brain surgeon, or a wedding planner, or a stay-at-home mom, a checklist can make it possible to divide out complicated or multi-step activities into small, doable pieces so that nothing gets forgotten. This is especially helpful for things that are repeated week in and week out, and require pulling together elements from a bunch of different places. A calendar, obviously, which seems like a no-brainer, but I am not going to stand in judgment of past me who was so overwhelmed that she didn't even care to know what day it was. <laughs> Another tool that is translatable from that project mentality is setting aside time to check in on our progress. What's done? What isn't done? Does what isn't done make a difference? That last step is what I like to do when this theme comes up in my ideal life exercise rotation. It comes up for me every three weeks, which seems like a good period of time to check in and make sure I didn't forget to do anything important. It also means that I can take a little bit of time and plan ahead. When I am feeling particularly efficient, I will make a meal plan for the whole month so that one incredibly hateful task can be done and taken care of all at once, and I don't have to think about it again for another three weeks. When I actually do this, which I don't always do, I feel so, so good about my life. It makes so many other things easier. For example, grocery shopping is a breeze, but it also has more subtle repercussions. Whereas when I don't plan ahead, It comes to be about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I start worrying. If we're not at home, I'm already thinking about how we can escape what we're doing so that I can get home and see what is in the refrigerator for dinner. But if I do plan ahead, I'm so much more chill. I can even, if I'm out, call my husband and tell him to check the meal plan and ask him to get it started. Or on a really, really good day, he'll call me and he'll tell me that he's already got the rice cooker started and that dinner will be ready in 30 minutes. Yet again, the fact of removing something stressful opens up the possibility for a little tiny bead of joy on the necklace of my life. And as we have said before, this world needs more joy. The last little tool is not gonna be any kind of life-changing idea. It's simply this. Sometimes we struggle to just get things started. Even the act of sitting down to plan a meal can seem undoable. Getting started is the hardest part of doing something. I mean, just getting out everything we need, pulling together our thoughts, it can seem insurmountable and incredibly unfun. I am totally with you on this. That's why we need to call on the virtue of discipline. If we can spend just five minutes on something, even if it's just five minutes doing mise en place to pull together what we need to get something started, we are that much closer to actually doing it. Having a good friend who can give you moral support on this and help you buckle down can be incredibly helpful. Plus, you have somebody to celebrate with when you actually do it. It's a win-win. So let's recap. Here are those five little tools to help make family scheduling and planning less painful. Number one, keep a to-do list on which you dump your every thought. Number two, make checklists for recurring tasks. Number three, Keep a calendar and keep it up to date. Number four, check in on your progress at regular intervals. And number five, just get started by setting a goal of working on it for five minutes. I wanna add a quick bit of color to what may sound like me trying to give advice. I do not have this all figured out for my own family. I go through ups and downs with how well I use these tools. Usually something will happen, like I miss an important meeting, for example, or my husband and I will have double scheduled ourselves for the same night and I get a renewed sense of urgency about applying these techniques. But here's what I wanna add. If you can get your family on board with these methods, this will all be so much easier. If you're able to have easy, non-confrontational conversations with the others in your household about who needs to be where when, about their priorities, about their projects, then try to schedule some time to do this. Like, a Sunday night is the perfect time to do this. Now, I am incapable of having these conversations in a non-confrontational way, and you have met my indulgent husband. He is not difficult to get along with. I am the problem element in this scenario, but we have found a way at least to share our calendar and have a place to post our to-do lists and our checklists and our meal plans so that we don't have to talk about it, but at least everybody can keep informed. And one last word about the checklist, one of the values that my husband and I want to emphasize as parents to our scalawags is autonomy. We are not particularly young as parents go, and the earlier we can get our children handling their own affairs in an age-appropriate way, the better. Checklists with pictures are huge. When it comes to delegating responsibility to children, they need to be able to see what they need to get done. So for example, if my eldest has a swimming lesson at school, he knows now to double check his swim bag and make sure that nothing is missing. And this became an issue when pre-checklist, I forgot to put a fresh pair of big boy pants in his bag and he came home angry with me because he had to go commando all afternoon after his swimming lesson at school. You see, he changes into a swimsuit before we leave the house after lunch and when he came time to change back into his street clothes, he discovered that his mama had dropped the ball. And now he knows that mama is not perfect, and that he needs to take some responsibility for checking his bag. So we made a checklist. We drew the pictures of everything he needed in his bag. You know, checklists are used by pilots and brain surgeons. If they are useful to something as important as all that, then surely we can use them to make our lives easier, too. were we to look beyond the everyday implications of scheduling and planning there is a whole chapter in this discussion about long-range planning pre-pandemic i had concert dates on my calendar sometimes up to two years in advance we plan weddings more than a year in advance but i'm talking about even longer range than that like retirement plans these aren't things we generally think about when we're in our 30s but something happens when we turn 40 and we realize that we are getting that much closer to the halfway point in our lives. I'll be the first to admit that I love to have a plan, but on the other hand, I dread thinking about that plan. Today, perhaps there isn't much planning to be done, or at least not much I could do, but I could start thinking about what my ideal life would look like in 20 years. What will I be doing? Where will I live? What do I want for my golden years? Even if I'm not ready to plan anything, I can start thinking. But there is one kind of planning that I can and should do now, because without sounding overdramatic about this, I don't know how many days I have left. This subject is one that your wicked stepsister, Layla is uniquely positioned to talk about with you, and I think once you hear what she has to say, you will start thinking differently on the subject of end-of-life planning, too. Layla, the floor is yours.
0: Do you remember going to the movies in 1997? I do my boyfriend, now my husband, took me on a date to see Titanic. Such a romantic story, right up until everyone started dying. Because of the misadventures of Jack and Rose, we all know about the Titanic. We know about the grand ballroom, lavish dining rooms, the gourmet food, the flowing wine, and the hubris we know about the hubris. We know that nobody bothered to ask, are we prepared just in case something doesn't go as planned? Well, fortunately, we've learned a lesson and we know better. When we get in the car, we buckle up just in case. If we go on a boat, we grab a life jacket. In our homes, we have smoke detectors and fire extinguishers. We go to the doctor and we submit to all sorts of unpleasant orifice probing just in case. And we do all of these things because we know that sometimes time and unforeseen events get the better of us. So we take steps to mitigate damage. How do you feel when you have checked off all of your just-in-case boxes? The gas tank in your car is full just in case you need to go somewhere. Your annual doctor's appointments are done just because something might be going on with your body that you don't know about. You even have a to-go bag ready just in case there is some sort of disaster in your neighborhood. No doubt you feel a little bit relieved. Maybe, dare I say, a little bit of superiority. After all, you are totally killing it. And since you are so good at the just-in-case game, You've also completed, signed, and distributed your advanced directive. You have, right? Oh, you haven't. No worries. You have a wicked stepsister. I'm going to tell you all about it, and we will correct that little oversight. No problem. First of all, what is an advanced directive? Generally, this is a bit of an umbrella term, and it refers to three different kinds of advanced directives. For the sake of simplicity, we're just going to call it an advanced directive, but it's actually a living will, a healthcare agent, and a financial power of attorney. So let's start with that first one, the living will. What is a living will? Well, it is a document that details your medical wishes should you become incapacitated either temporarily or permanently. Generally, people will think of this more in relationship with death, But in the event that you are in some kind of an accident, you could become incapacitated for a period of time, and a living will could kick in in that case too. It serves as a valuable guide for your family and for your healthcare providers. It can state things like your willingness or your unwillingness to receive certain treatments, whether or not you would want to take advantage of life support options, your preferences if your illness or injury were to progress to a certain stage. This can be a really difficult document to work through, especially for people with small children. We might feel one way when we're just thinking about ourselves, but when we have young ones who are depending on us, we may have a completely different feeling, completely different outlook, and it's going to change our decisions. So after we have done the heavy lifting of completing that living will, we need to choose a healthcare agent or a healthcare proxy, durable medical power of attorney, there are a number of terms for this depending on where you live. Whatever your state calls it, this is the person that you choose to interpret your living will and speak on your behalf. You are going to want to choose a person who is very clear on what you value. This person should be assertive enough to ask questions and advocate for you. They shouldn't be easily offended if someone challenges their position. You want somebody who you can completely trust to speak for you while enduring the stress of you being in a medical crisis. It is a tall order, so don't choose your healthcare agent rashly. The third part of this puzzle that we need to get sorted out is the financial power of attorney. The person whom you choose to act as power of attorney will be able to handle your financial affairs while you are unable to do so. Examples of this would be collecting benefits checks, paying your bills, filing your taxes, managing, buying, selling any properties that you may have, hiring someone to represent you in court. Even though you are incapacitated, The world is going to keep spinning and you are going to need somebody who can act in your behalf and take care of your financial matters. Finally, when you have completed all three of these things, make copies of your completed document, give one to your healthcare agent, give one to your doctor and have it added to your medical record, register it with your state if that's an option where you live, and keep one in your own personal in case of emergency file. Give a copy to whomever you think needs to know this information. I know that these are not fun tasks, but they are extremely valuable, you know, just in case. You can likely find free or low-cost versions of documents like this online, and some of them may even be specific to your state. And if you find this whole thing rather intimidating, there are people out there like me who can help you through these questions. Some of us even like to throw a little fun in there. Um, For me, I call it death drinks and directives. I encourage people to have a little party, um, bring in some help if they need it, and they can have a lively chat about all the just-in-case issues that we just talked about and then create their own advanced directives. Remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise. Leave it to Layella
1: to turn making advanced directives into a party. In the show notes, you'll find a link to Layella's website for more information about death, drinks, and directives. Let's zoom out now for a second and let you answer those four questions about your ideal life in the area of scheduling and planning. What is working? Do you have a method for keeping track of everyone's schedule? Does your meal plan bring you joy? Write that down. Next, what isn't working? Is there a doctor's appointment you've been putting off making, but you know that you should do it? Is there something you desperately want to do, but you just can't make the space in your head to enjoy it because there's too much stuff left undone? What do you need to think about when it comes to those things that aren't working? What is keeping you from solving those problems? Do you simply not have the new phone number for the doctor's office? Or is it that you are afraid of making that appointment because of what you might find out? One of those things is easily solved. The other one may require you to be brave. Be brave. In either case, I want you to think that that one tiny little thing that you can do today to get you closer to your ideal life, make that appointment. If finally getting around to doing something that you're looking forward to means that you have to cancel something, you have my permission as your fairy godmother to do that. You also have my permission to say no to invitations or solicitations that do not fill you with joy. If you are struggling to plan for the future, try sitting down for five minutes today and making a list of all the things you need to plan for. Just get them out of your mind and onto paper. You'll see where to go from there. Just get started. I came across the writings of a medieval philosopher named Eckhart von Hochheim. Here's what he wrote back in the 13th century. And suddenly, You know, it's time to start something new and trust the magic of beginnings. Isn't that beautiful? Just getting started, just taking that first step to planning and thinking about the future is the magic of a new beginning. Go get out your calendar. On April 30th at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, I want you to write Virtual Death Cafe. That's right, that's what Layella is going to be hosting. It'll be an opportunity to ask questions about end-of-life issues and get straight answers. Even if you aren't planning on dying anytime soon, and I hope you're not, opening up a discussion about death can give you a whole new love of life. So as counterintuitive as it may seem, facing the topic head-on might just bring you unexpected joy. The details will be on our social media and in next week's show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I love hearing from you. So you can write to me on Instagram, that's at Lily Fields Challenge, or on Facebook. I'm just Lily Fields. You can also read more on the blog, www.lilyfieldschallenge.com. A great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulu's France for the use of the song La Joie for the intro and outro to the show. Also, thank you to Matt Kugler who sang it, and Claude Ekwe, who wrote it. This is your Fairy Godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.